Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Yeah, yeah. Anita. Hello, Mahelzebub. How are you? Oh, that's my favorite name now. Please is call it? me that forever. I'm not sure if it's the devil or an angel name, though. We get to decide, just like we get to decide what widow means. <laughs> cool. Okay. I'll try to call you that from ever more Mahelzebub. Thank you. Thank you. How are you doing today? Um, I'm doing fine today. Yesterday, I was a mess. So I'm glad that I'm not a mess today. I was super mean and super grumpy, and it was not, it wasn't pretty here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, hope today goes a little better. <laughs> I mean, it, the good thing is when it's really, really bad, it doesn't even have to be that great for it to be better. Oh, yeah. So one of my, I was just in a fight with one of my kids and somebody came to the door and they were like, hey, can we play night games? And he turns around and he's like, mom, can I play night games? And I'm like, are you kidding me? No. And he's like, mom, shh, she's right at the door. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> he's like, you're embarrassing me. And I'm like, I don't care. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. Today's better. Good. Well, maybe not 100%. 40% better, I would say. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'll take it. So also we had a business meeting this week and it's important because we went to 
taco, 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 taco. Yeah, you guys, we had a Friday night taco date. And those of you who are in our Patreon at the Widow Wife and Up level got to see us have a question and answer session where we answered your questions. So we had a lot of fun, but we had tacos and we got to have a business meeting. And, and, and we actually got stuff done. You guys. Which is not typical for us. I just want to say I'm so proud of Anita because I have seen her from the beginning of the widow journey to now. And she has made great leaps and strides in technology. <laughs> I... I'm learning, well, actually, I'm relearning some things that I kind of knew how to do before. And I, it is good though because, oh gosh. <laughs> Did you hear him? Mom, we need to talk. <laughs> Hang on. Okay. I'm. His middle finger is cut. Is he going to hold uh, it up to show you? <laughs> probably. Hang on. I'll go get him. Please get a picture. Okay. Hang on was not serious okay great right after you become a widow it's kind of like you're stripped down to the bare minimum of things that you can take on and you can try and it's almost like you feel like you lose a lot of your abilities just because you're like i said stripped down and you just don't have a lot of excess energy time motivation to do anything so when you do, even if it's something that you've done before, you pick it back up, you feel like you've climbed a mountain. So I feel proud of myself for adding new things back into my life or accomplishing new things that I did not have the energy or emotional bandwidth to do. Yeah, you're so. like slaying. You yeah. have been reminding me of me because usually I'm the one that's like, I have 8 million ideas and this and this and this and this. And you're like, I'm overwhelmed. Stop talking to me. And now... All day, every day, you're like, this and this and this. And I'm like, yes, now Anita understands me. <laughs> and then I'll crash at some point in time, I'm sure. I'll be like, and eh, never mind. But I'm super excited that my kids are, are on the cusp of going back to school. So that will be great. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Um, great things have been happening in the Widow Wives Club. Make sure you come and join us if you're a widow widower somebody who has lost their romantic partner and you guys guess what this saturday at 12 p.m mountain daylight time and 7 p.m mountain daylight time we have our monthly zoom hang facilitated by autumn barker who's in our widow wives club she's a mental health professional and it's her episode today so you're gonna learn a little bit more about her i'm so excited and bummed out that she's a widow, but stoked that you guys yeah. get to meet her. She's so amazing. She really is. And that's August 21st at, like Mel said, 12 p.m. and 7 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time. Google the time difference. We can't do it. <laughs> and look in the Widow Wives Club. That's where you look in the Widow Wives Club. That's where you will find all of the information to be able to join our Zoom meetings. They're so helpful. If you're in the Widow Wives Club, if you fill out the form that Anita has pinned to the top, then we will be able to send you the newsletter that we have that has those links in it as well. So we'll post them in the group, but you'll also get it to your email if you sign up with that survey. 
Yeah. And also that survey helps us to keep track of you a little better and helps us. So when a new member comes in and they say, oh, my husband just died of glioblastoma, we can say, oh, we can look at our spreadsheet and we can say, okay, these are the people that might be able to help you. It just helps us to be able to support you better and understand who has similar experiences so we can point you in the right direction of support. Yeah. So that's another reason that we have that to to have you fill out just so that we can be better equipped to serve and help all of you help each other. Yeah. I, like we're not using anything for any nefarious reasons we're not charging. There's like, there's no money involved. There's no scamming involved, like t- definitely. So that's only the reason it's just so we can help you better. Yeah. That's all we care about. So come be with us in the widow wives club. If you want to keep the podcast going, we strongly encourage you to join our Patreon. What is Patreon, Anita? Patreon is a website that helps creative developers, people who make different kinds of online content. Musicians. Support. Musician, podcasters. Authors. Artists. I don't know. There's probably Patreons for a lot of different things. But podcasts, that's all that matters in this in this context. So if you want to help us keep going, check out patreon.com slash WWDN. We have four different tiers. And I mean, the lowest tier is as much as like a coffee for one day. So seriously, we have four le- The na- Oh, and the names of the levels are exciting. It's widow friend, widow bestie, widow wife, and dead husband. So check it out. See what you would like to join if that's possible for you. And if not, Anita, how can people help us? Two things. You can buy us a taco at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And we'll go get tacos. And number two is to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. That's where most people get their metrics from. So that helps us to be more visible to potential listeners who are desperate to have the kind of community that you guys have found while listening to the podcast. We want everybody to be able to benefit from it. Yes. Like, you know, when your person dies and people are like, I don't know how to help. And some people are not really equipped to come into your house and like clean stuff and do all of the big things. So sometimes it's just nice if someone sends you a text that they're thinking about you. So doing a rating and a review on Apple podcasts is equivalent to that. Totally not much effort, but it helps us a ton so that we can help more people. That probably made no sense, but maybe you can figure it out. I figured it out. Okay, good. Shall we do our Patreon shout out, our patron shout out? Yes. One of the thing, one of the benefits for the tier of Widow Bestie and Up is a shout out in episode. And we are doing that right now. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. 
listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But Then The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rockhouse Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Si, senora. We're going to start with our secret dead husband, and we say, Widow, 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 I made, made you out, out of, of clay. clay. <laughs> and when she's dry and red, oh my gosh. then widow, I will play. Hey! Yeah. Is that is that offensive? A dry widow? <laughs> I don't know. It's, you know, the dreidel song. I mean, I love it, actually. Okay, next is Constance Dahlbach. David Kelly. Don Satterwhite. Ivan Meisner. Cat. Amy. Amy Sapp. Osh- <laughs> Why? <laughs> Ashley Hong. Christina Shiflett. Danielle Catterberg. Not a Debbie Downer. Dennis Brazo and the saxophone. Woohoo. Jenny Taylor. Jenny Wang. Kathy Murray. Kirsten Stromberg. Spooky Scary. Leslie Webb. Missy Schubert. Sarah Morris. Sylvia Shore. Karen the Winehouse. Anna Tracy. Christina Scambato. Christine Anderson, still getting better. Mindy Holmgren. Don Barber. Diana Becker. Emily Thornton. Emily Toledo. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Ian Sini. Ileana Bell. Somebody I'm thankful for every week. Jamie Aliota. My mom. Jenny Barrow. Jocelyn Milo. Fancy Lady. Katie Radcliffe. Carascara. Lori Farrington. Marie Hoffman. Marjorie Lewis. Mary McGowan. Peter Rukavina. Sarah Kennedy. Shannon Helm. Sunshine Haven. Tammy Schwartz. Tara Wallace. Val Packer. And Golden Girls Wendy. Do, 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 do. Thank you so much to everybody who is currently a part of our Patreon. Like we said before, we welcome you all to join if you're able to do that. But we are happy to keep podcasting for you if it helps you. Yes. And if not, you can tell us and then we'll just quit. (laughs) Done. Or we won't quit. Like widows don't quit. Are we ready for our episode? Um, heck yes, please. We hope you guys really enjoy getting to meet Autumn. It's going to be a great episode. Let's get right to it. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're two young widows who eat tacos. And we're just trying to figure out, widow, we We... do now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That. This episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation in memory of Elizabeth Meisner. Anita, Anita! Newsflash, we have a special guest today. Oh, really? Really? Are you sure we have a special guest? I feel like we say that with every single guest, but I I mean it today. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I apologize to all previous guests on Anita's behalf. (laughs) I mean it every single time, Mel. So we don't need to apologize to anybody. Well, one, okay, go. Today, we have our friend Autumn Barker. Now, 
if you have joined us on any of our Saturday Zoom hangs, you will know who Autumn is because she is the one who facilitates our Zoom hangs. And we thought it was super important that we interview Autumn and get her story. So you guys know that she's not some strange person that we just pulled in from the street. Mm-hmm. And this is the that- only way to know. It could be true. I could be a strange person from the street, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is how we're going to make sure you're not, Autumn. Oh. But, but guess what? Fun fact. Huh. Autumn, Anita, and I all went to the same high school, and I was in choir with Autumn's little sister. I didn't know that. Yep. That's fun. Yeah, and we we connected somehow how did we figure this out probably autumn emailed you or something no there was somebody that posted on facebook about an english teacher oh yes okay i remember now yeah that she was a widow and was having a hard time and people were writing cards to her and i had posted in there that i wanted to write to her that i was also a a widow and then someone said hey you should check out anita's podcast and then they linked you and then that's how we that's right now i remember yes Uh they were like go to anita she is the she is the gatherer of all widows so yes that's that's how we connected again can can we all talk about something very strange for a second how come we know so many people around our age who are widows now our husbands did not go to our same high school but there's something about us and they're dying that's true i don't know know what it is we're not that old, you guys. I'm 39. You guys are what? 400. Um, I kind of wonder, though, if it's normal and we just, like, are aware of it now. That's always my question. Does anybody else out there on the internet have have more than four people that you know that you went to school with who are now young widows under the age of 40? Because everybody became here a widow before 40, correct? Okay, you were 40. Autumn, how old? She's not sure. Okay, you so were that 41. Counts. That counts. Okay. I know of, there's like f- at least five of us from my grade alone. So Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, aren't we in the same grade, Anita? Are we? Yeah. I graduated in 98. Did you graduate? I hope you guys all did. Yeah, we're in the same grade. You guys, this is all contrived before we were born, and I'm pissed about right? it. Right? This is some kind of weird universe colliding. Mm-hmm. Something's mm-hmm. in the water. Like, yeah. Yes. Except for the, it's our spouses. It's not us. Because we could be like, we had a radioactive high school, but it's not us. So we're cursed, and whoever marries us yes. is going to die. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we are cursed. <sighs> we are cursed. Autumn, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself where do you live? What do you do for your job? What do How you do for pets? fun? Sure. So I live in West Jordan, Utah currently. And this is a fun fact. From, my, from 18 to 38, I moved almost every single year. And so from 38 to my age now, which is 41, I've lived in the same house, which is like a record for me. And I've lived all over the state of Utah. I lived out in Oregon. I've lived overseas, like just always moved. But yeah, that's awesome. I, I move a lot and I get itchy feet like I want them. Like even now I'm like, where can I go? I want a new adventure. But I've decided I don't want to make any 
new changes right now. So staying put for now. But um, I am a mental health therapist. I've been in the mental health field for almost 20 years, but I have worked as a therapist for the last seven. And I, let's see, currently, I've also had a lot of different jobs in the mental health field. I've worked as just an individual therapist in outpatient therapy. I've worked at a psych hospital. I've worked in residential treatment. And I currently work in an anxiety clinic and I see clients with um, anxiety disorders and they, we have IOP, which is every single day they come in. And we also have outpatient where I see them once a week as well. Wow. You've had a lot of experience in the mental health field and now you're a widow. Oh, yeah. That's like a whole, whole different experience in the mental health field. So I have a question. Before you were a widow, how often did you run into, you call them clients, right? Not patients. How many times did you run into clients who were there for grief counseling? Was it pretty common or not so common? Um, I would say in the grand scheme of things, not as common as you would think. I think most people come in for individual therapy because of life changes, but it's not always grief related. And it's going to be like, the, they've had a life change and now they're experiencing depression. Now they're experiencing anxiety or they've had anxiety or depression a long time. And it's just exacerbating um, with something like grief, like a loss can come up. But what you learn in the field is that loss looks like so many different things. And it's not always loss of a person it could be loss of a job. It could be loss of, you know, even like possessions, pets, like anything like that can kind of kick off this grief and loss experience for people. And so, yeah, you, you kind of can get in that vein of helping people through grief, but it's not always a, a spouse or a person that they've lost. But usually transition in life comes with some type of loss that people are dealing with. Okay. I have another question. Yeah. How much teaching did they do on grief specific things in school? Because I'm going to be honest, I have even seen therapists and I'm like, you have no idea. Like the things you're saying right now are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and you're stupid. You so I just, training. <laughs> I just wonder if it's something that you actually talk a lot about, or if it's not as common, so you don't spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. And I wouldn't they first, yes, we don't spend a lot of time on it in training for the most part. There's not like even a, a specific class that's about grieving or loss, but it's such a huge theme, as we know, in mental health. And so it's really interesting what you end up studying in like your grad school program would be therapy models, right? Like these are the therapy models that we use and you can treat any number of things with these therapy models but we don't focus specifically on like grief or loss. And I'll tell you, when I first started being a therapist, like I'm helping people and they come in with these issues and I'm like, oh man, I don't know what to do or say about this because I haven't had specific training in grief or loss. Now I've had a lot more training since I started out. And I'll tell you that since becoming a widow, I realized how much I, I really didn't know, right? Like I helped people with grief and loss like as clients, and I was doing what I thought was, you know, the accepted literature on how to help clients, and I would do my research. But when I became a widow, I was like, oh, this is not at all what I thought it was. I want to know who's in charge and who do we talk to 
Can I speak to your manager? Becomes part of the curriculum of mental health across the world. Why? I have, like, it is mind-blowing to me. Who's the boss? Um, I would say in the state of Utah, it's Doppel, because they make the rules about, like, what classes and what curriculum we need in order to be a therapist. Great. Let's talk to them. Who is it in charge of the whole world? Is there one above them? (laughs) I I don't think so. Every single state has its own requirement. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, Autumn. Yes. You mentioned and we mentioned that you are a widow. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your story of your husband, how you met, what happened, all of the things that brought you to us today? Yes. Let me tell you about all the things that brought me here. Um. I was single for quite a long time. I dated on and off, but hadn't found the right one until I was in my later 30s. I met Zane, my husband, and we actually met through like an online, it was kind of like a dating site, but it was like a social thing. He messaged me and then we, we just started seeing each other. We are very different people like we had super separate interests but we were at the core like very much the same person and so we connected really like from the beginning and um can you hear my cat oh I thought it was Anita's kids and I went to go (laughs) mute her I was like it was muted already that sounds like either a child (laughs) sorry but then I thought it was a cat I think it's good fun sorry where was I um Oh, like super different interests. Like I drove like a tiny bitty like environmental car and Zane drove like a massively huge truck. And I'm all about like, you know, uh, I was pretty anti-gun and Zane owned like a ton of guns. And that was like so weird to me. And so we just had all these different interests. And, but we, we were so similar that we just enjoyed talking to each other. Like every, all, when it, our entire courtship dating, we try to do things like go see a movie or go do an activity. And we just end up sitting there talking to each other. And so we just got along so well. Anyway, we got married and we moved here to West Jordan, built a house. And it was about a year and a half in that COVID hit, I think. And so Then we both worked from home in the beginning, so we got to spend a lot of time doing that, and that was really wonderful. We actually had quite an adventure just being at home all the time, like working with each other. I worked grades at the time, so he'd work during the day and I'd work at night, and um, we had a lot of adventures. We did a lot of great stuff, and then in October, um, probably mid-October, we both got COVID, we got super duper sick. I was super sick. Zane was super sick. And it was probably about a week in. And Zane, I'm trying to think, the night before Zane went into the hospital, he was up all night just coughing and having a hard time sleeping. And I went out and I like sat with him. He was sleeping on the couch. And I sat with him and rubbed his back and helped him go back to sleep. But I was just so ill at the time too. Like I wasn't able to get around. Like I was really dizzy. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't taste a lot of things, right? Like you don't have any appetite. I had a really high fever. I, um, like every single symptom of COVID was like a symptom that I had. It was, it was awful. 
And even in the midst of me having COVID those first, probably that first week of having COVID, I was just, I was so miserable. I felt like I was never going to get better. And I felt like, you know, so miserable that like, it would be okay if I died. Like, I remember thinking that from having COVID. Yeah. And so about a week in, we woke up in the morning after Zane had this hard night and I would talk to him and he um, was like, I'm not doing okay. And I'm like, let's go. We're taking you to the hospital. Like, let's go. And so we got up and I was getting ready and he went to the bathroom and he collapsed in the bathroom. And I went in and he was, um, he was conscious, but he couldn't move and he couldn't speak. And I was really sick. I think if I had been aware at the time, I would have known he was having a stroke, but I didn't, at the time I was just like, I don't know what's wrong. And he can't talk to me, but he was having a stroke. So I called the 911 and the fire department is literally across the street. So they were here within about 30 seconds. And they, you know, got him up into the um, ambulance and took him to the ER. Over the next couple of days, Zane ended up having several more strokes. And so what happened was, and I don't know a lot about the medical stuff. And I'll tell you that because I was so sick, I don't remember a lot of what they told me about what was happening. But I know that there were blockages on like both sides. And so there wasn't blood flow getting to his brain. So there was some significant probably brain damage that was happening, but they didn't know specifically what was happening in the beginning. He did have a brain surgery to try to clear up some of the blocks. And um, it was, yeah, he just kind of, every time the phone rang, because he's in the hospital, I'm homesick with COVID, I can't go anywhere. And so they would just call me with updates and say, you know, Zane's had another stroke, or this is what we found with this scan. And it was was almost always bad news. And it was really difficult because all I was trying to do was sleep and try to like take care of myself. And I would get these phone calls from the hospital and it was just bad news. It was traumatizing. I was all by myself, but um, eventually they came back from one of the scans after a couple of days and said, hey, like, you know, it doesn't look good. Did they never talk to you about what he wanted to do if he was like, you know, machines were in the picture and keeping him alive. And um, and so I had some tough choices to make over those couple of days about what to do. And yeah, it was was really traumatic because I was so ill and, also just that I was all by myself. And so I didn't have anybody to help like explain things to me or help me understand what was happening. Um, In the end, what they've told me, and I wish doctors were a little bit more specific. Sometimes they are, they're like, well, it looks really bad, but it could get better. Like that's, that's what they, you know, do, right. Cause they want to give you this hope. <laughs> and so eventually a palliative doctor called me and that's when I knew, right. They're like, oh, they're having the palliative doctor call me. It, it is really serious and he's not going to get better. So first of all, the radiologist called me. That's what happened. And they were talking to me about this scan and they said, what we see is there's a lot of damage in his language center and we see some damage in other areas. If and when Zane becomes conscious, it's very likely that he, you know, he won't be able to speak. He won't be able to function in a lot of ways. 
But however, we don't know what will happen because the brain is really great and it can heal itself. And in six months, who knows? That's what they're telling me. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, "Um, great, thanks for helping me. But when the palliative doctor called me, it was actually really helpful because he told me, he gave me a little bit more of a, you know, it's not like this is this is a serious situation and it this is always the way that like that Jane was gonna like the, I should back up again <laughs> sorry <laughs> so Zane had um I forgot to tell you this in the beginning Zane had type 1 diabetes and um he was in stage 5 kidney failure so he had an underlying health condition and and, I, and that was part of, I think, why he was having these strokes. They knew that COVID does cause people to have um, blood clotting happen. It can cause some problems with blood and circulation. And because Zayn was already on dialysis and doing those things, it made it much more complicated for him. So when the palliative doctor called me, he said, you know what, this is how people with type 1 diabetes die. Like, this is what happens. It's not... It's never pretty. It's always difficult and complicated. And um, it is, it's just, you know, we're at that point. And that's when I decided that, you know, I need to put Zane on comfort care. And, um, and, that, and that's what I did. I made that decision. And it was, I think he was probably on comfort care for, it was less than 24 hours before he passed away. And, um, and that's what happened. I never went to see him in the hospital. They wouldn't allow me because I had COVID and because he was on the COVID unit. They told me that um, he didn't really ever have any respiratory issues. A lot of people die from respiratory issues with COVID. And they said that, you know, if it weren't for this, the blood problem that was having, Zane probably wouldn't have died from COVID anyway. Like it was never about respiratory issues. It was just about these strokes that were happening because of COVID. So they did allow me to do a video call with Zane, like the night after he'd been put on comfort care. It was really interesting because it was just, you know, on a little FaceTime thing. And I saw him and it was weird because I felt like he, it wasn't him, like he wasn't there. And so it was a really short call. Like they, they, they pulled him up on the video. I saw him there in the bed. He was breathing on his own because they'd taken out like all the tubing and everything and I just looked at him and I'm like okay like I just said goodbye and I'm like and that was all I needed because he just wasn't there and so yeah he passed away the next day it was nice because his family his parents were able to go to the hospital and see him before he passed away so that was a really nice thing but yeah that's kind of in a nutshell I feel traumatized for you Autumn like you're sick as a dog. You can't, you, you're just trying to take care of yourself and you're trying to make these big decisions in isolation, completely cut off from the rest of the world. What was that like after, because you are sick and then there's quarantine and what was that like? Yeah, <laughs> right. He dies and there's like, I'm still quarantined because I'm, I was still sick for probably like, I wasn't out of my own quarantine for probably four or five days. A really amazing thing was that my sister-in-law from Oregon came down to be with me. Um, She's a nurse and she actually had gone out to New Jersey and worked in the hospitals with COVID out there. So she knew kind of 
a lot of protocols. So she came out to be with me. And so that was just super duper. That probably saved my bacon because I don't know how I would have gotten through it just completely alone. So she came out on the 1st of November and she was there to help me. And I think one of the things that was really important is not only was I isolated, but the hospital would only talk to me. And so I had to be the person that relayed information to Zane's family and friends. And I, again, I'm really sick. I'm really traumatized. I'm not sure how I'm like getting information across. And so one thing that was really helpful was having my sister-in-law Robin there to communicate to them what was happening and have them be able to ask her questions because she's a medical person anyway, so she can answer those things. For me, I just, I was like, well, he's getting worse. And I just didn't know how to explain to them what was happening. And I mean, they were also on the outside because they, you know, it's their, that's same their son and their brother and their friend, and they can't give information about what's happening to him. So I know that it was, it was traumatizing for them too. It was just hard for everybody. And then, yeah, after Zane passed away, I was still in quarantine and I couldn't see anybody. I think the very first time I left the house was to go to the funeral home to make arrangements for Zane's funeral. And that's the first time I saw his parents. And um, that was, it was hard because I was there and, you know, you know how funeral homes are, <laughs> just like the worst experience ever. So that was amazing. <laughs> Mel and I are just both shaking our heads. Like <laughs> you can't see it, but we're just like, what in the, oh my. Our hands are both out <laughs> like jazz hands, but like shock jazz hands and our mouths are open. The, having partner death is bad enough. And then all of these layers on top of it from anybody that's had the COVID situation and, and like Autumn is talking about, oh my gosh. And, and Autumn, you're, you're a mental health professional already. And so uh, tell us what that's like too. Like you have certain tools, but this is different. This is you going through the thing. And what was that like at the time and now? That's a, this is such a good question. And like I said before, I think, yes, I had minimal training on how to help people through grief and loss. And I had had experience with clients doing that with them. Thankfully, I don't think I ever used like the five stages of grief because, you know, I, something that I was like, oh, phew, because once I'm experiencing it, I totally get it, right? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. But um, at the same time, once it happened to me, like I said, it was like, oh, this is so not what I imagined my clients had been through. I did not understand like how complicated it is. I did not understand the depth of the emotions. And I think the other thing I didn't understand is how much it rocks the rest of your world. It is not just the loss that you're experiencing of your person or your family member. It is, it, it literally ripples out to everything, every single level in your life. It, you know, it, affects not only like holidays and all the things that you would do with that person, but it affects, you know, my own social situation, my own financial situation, my, like my own patterns of eating and sleeping and everything that it affects. Like, I don't think I understood the complexity of how much grief touches every single inch of your life and how much that just I think, you know, people talk about it, but I don't think I really understood that piece. And the other thing that I didn't understand that I 
almost immediately understood as I, I, I can't remember who I said it to, but I was like, uh, I think it's going to get worse rather than better. <laughs> I think people, initially I thought the further out you get from the traumatic experience, the, the, you know, the more you're able to cope with it, it's supposed to lighten. It's supposed to get a little bit easier. And all of a sudden I understood, I think the further away I get from this, it will change, but it's going to get harder than it is right now because, Yes, and dealing with the trauma and the grief and being sick and all of that. But as I move away, I realized I'm going to lose Zane more and more. I'm going to remember less. I'm going, I'm going to have like less of him. Like the, the grief, that loss is going to get bigger. <laughs> and so I think that's another thing I didn't understand. And I think probably most people don't. I, here I am at nine months out and most people think I should be good now, right? Like, Autumn has survived her first nine months. She's working. She's going out. She's doing things. They think she's good. Like this probably isn't bothering her as much anymore. And that is absolutely not the way it works. And Autumn, uh, also, were you and Zane married just about two years? Yeah, two years and like two weeks. So you were in the same boat as me. I was almost two years and we have finite experiences. I mean, everybody does, but like we have way less like pictures and experiences than maybe people that were together for 20 years or 30 years or something. And so it's like, they're, they're more precious. Each one holds more more of your brain. No, it's totally true. And I, I, I'm sure you experience this too, Mel, when I talk to other widows that I've met and even people, not widows, one of the first things people always ask me is how long were you married? And I think, why does that matter? (laughs) Yeah, because then and then when you say two years, they're like, "Oh, well, you'll be fine." That's exactly and right. It's like, shut up <laughs> right now. Here's my sock that's sweaty, and let's put it in your mouth. Go away. <laughs> yeah, don't say that to me. That's what I will do. Yeah, is that interesting? It's like it's that's why. Um, it's, that's so weird. Nobody ever asks me that. You have children. Oh, okay. There you go. But it's like when they ask that to us, that's what also helps us to feel like, oh, I, I guess I'm not as valid as somebody that was married X amount of years that had kids. Yeah. You and Zane do not have kids. No. Well, you have a cat. Yeah. Well, I, I have a cat and Zane adopted the cat reluctantly because Monty's (laughs) like 15 years old. (laughs) Autumn, I'm curious how it was to go back to work and have people complain at you and be like, shut up. I don't care. Did you have that happen? Yeah. How do you do that? Cause how long was it before you went back to work? I went back to work a week, like less than a week after Zane's funeral. And it was less than two weeks after Zane's death. Stop it. Yeah. Well, I didn't have a choice. Um, I didn't tell you where I work because I don't want to spread anything around about where I work. Right. But, um, they, they forced me to come back basically. Who is it? Uh, Wait, 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 wait. Who can we talk to? Are they also the boss who makes the curriculum for mental health that does not include grief? I'm sure they had something to do with it because not just did they make me come back, but just the way that they have, not supported me through this like experience has been really almost a whole different thing of trauma for me of dealing with my employer because they have not been supportive and I mean 
Yeah. So they made me come back and then they also made me use like negative PTO while I was out. So I came back and I had like two weeks, like 80 hours of negative PTO. So I couldn't take time off until I accrued like the 80 hours back. What? What about, okay. So I had negative PTO, so I couldn't take time off in the beginning. I had, I really did have like a nervous breakdown in January, like two months later, because I wasn't managing. And I went to them and I went to H. I can't imagine why. I know, right? So I went in and I talked to my boss in HR and they said, well, if you can't do your job, then you need to resign. What in the good heavens? This is a mental health clinic. No, this is the one in the good hell. This is what, what in the bad hell. In the, this is not okay. What in the quack? That's really what this hard. is. What in the quack? Autumn, I'm so sorry. Because, oh my gosh, like they should understand that mental health issues and this kind of a thing should be classified and dealt with as a disability. Do you know what I'm saying? This is not just in your head. This is not, and they should, oh my gosh. Okay. Uh. Right. (laughs) And I thought about going out on disability at that point because I was like, well, they're not going to help support me. So what are my options? I mean, I can quit my job. I can go on disability, but at the same time, the hoops that you have to jump through to get onto disability are crazy. So, which they should help you with. They should be like, yes, we will help you do that. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Do you still work for them, Autumn? I do. Because again, again, I don't want to make any big changes. Right. Yeah. And I, I understand that. I think that if I had made a change, because I thought about quitting. But I'm like, if I have, if I start a whole new job, that's adding another level of stress that I don't need. Yeah. And this is just like you were saying before, where you don't understand how deep the grief goes and how it touches every part of your life. You, you know, just practically speaking, you are now in a difficult position where you are paying for your house and all of your expenses alone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how am I going to do that? My back is up against the wall. And I got to do what I got to do. And you don't have the luxury to be like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just quit my job for a little while. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, I made a decision at that point to stay at my job, but to like, I, I understand that I understood at that moment that I have to take care of myself. Like nobody else is going to help me with this. So I started to just do the bare minimum at my job and I tried to fly under the radar as much as possible. I gave as I gave everything I could to my clients because I really did care deeply for my clients. But my employer, I was like, eh, like, I don't need to do anything extra. I'm not going to, you know, jump through these hoops they need me to. And that was that. And so and, oh, another thing that I ended up doing at that at that time because I wasn't coping, I went on medication because I'm like, Ugh, I don't know what else to do. So I went on medication and I don't usually react well to medication. And so for me, it was um, an SNRI that I went on. And you can't just say that you have to say what that is. A, serotop- a serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. Okay, thanks. Although helpful? I don't think that helped at all, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a, a a medication that is generally targeted for anxiety. It also can treat depression, but is generally prescribed more for anxiety problems. Okay, is that helpful? 
You may continue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that medication made it so that I just really didn't care about anything. Right. Mm. Like I, I'm not sad, but I'm not happy. I'm like in this weird, like gray area of numbness. And I don't, I, the building could have been on fire. I've been like, cool, just another day. Like I was just really not, I wasn't myself, right? Like my personality, the things that make me connect with people, like all of that stuff just got put on, like, it was like muted. And so I didn't like it. I went off of it a couple months later, but that's how bad it was for me. It's like, I'm not coping. I've got to do something. And so, yes, I went back to work and initially to go back to your original question, it was difficult to see clients in the beginning for sure. Because like you said, I'm dealing with so much trauma that trying to go in and listen to and help other people felt just like, very, it was so difficult for me to connect. One smart thing that I did is I reached out to a mentor of mine and talked through that with them. And I said, look, I don't, it's so important for me as a therapist to be able to connect with my clients, to empathize with them and to be able to be with them in that space and help them. And I don't feel like I can do that. And what are, what, what can I do? And he was very wise. And he said, Autumn, you're doing everything that you can. And if you can sit in that room with somebody and, and listen, and you just fall back on the things that you know how to do, you're helping people. And sure, you do have to put your stuff a little bit on the back burner, but that means you have to gather your support on the other end. So that meant that I upfront had to adopt a really helpful self-care regimen for myself in order to take care of my own needs because to be in a room with someone to try to help them was taking everything out of me when I already felt like I had nothing to give. And so on the back end, I would go home and do just a ton of self-care and, and basically just turn the world off. So, so Autumn, <laughs> you came to one of our first zoom hangs, I feel like, and when you signed up and came, what were your expectations? Do you remember? You might not even remember. I don't think I had expectations. I think it was the Valentine's Day one. Okay. Yeah. And I saw it and I was like, ah, I'm not doing anything for Valentine's Day. This <laughs> is like, this is a nice thing to just be able to not like sit alone and think about my problems. So I didn't necessarily have expectations of just much. I wanted to just connect with other people. And then what did you find after you joined and came and socialized with people of your kind? I think that I felt like this is a group I belong in. I felt that sense of belonging and connection. And I really, I really enjoyed it. We were just doing like playing stupid Mad Libs, right? We weren't talking about anything deep. We were just having fun together. But I remember thinking like these people like get it. And I don't have to pretend to be anybody else in this group. I can just be exactly as I am. And I, that's what I connected with. So yay. Yay. <laughs> so after we had that Valentine's bingo, Autumn. Mad libs, not bingo. Us, whatever. <laughs> it was a game. She reached out and, and volunteered to help facilitate groups when we do them every month. And so we've been doing that for the past several months and we've gotten so much amazing feedback 
from some people that have been doing that and they've really found it to be really, really helpful. And Autumn, I just want to say it's amazing and very commendable that with all that you're going through, especially these things with work, like I, I am so sorry. And I had no idea about that. That's like unbelievable that you are able to help in a setting where you are also feeling comfortable. So we would love to thank you yes, so much so for much. being willing to do that. And of course, if it ever makes you feel tired and sad, you don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to do it. And the reason I had initially contacted you is because after that meet happened, I thought, wouldn't it, like I wanted to do it again, right? I had this feeling like I, I really enjoyed being a part of that. And I would like to be able to, you know, have that experience more often. And I didn't know how often you guys would do those things, which is why I contacted you. And I was like, do you guys ever thought about doing like a meetup? Because I, it's actually really helpful for me. And so I enjoy doing it. I don't find it stressful at all. And literally I'm not a therapist in that group. I'm just somebody that comes and participates. And that's another thing that I really appreciate is I don't have to play therapist in that group. I can just be there. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how we've had so many people come to those Zoom meetings and they don't even have to say anything. They don't even have to, you know, they don't even have to put it all out there or talk about their feelings or whatever. And sometimes the topics get so weird. I mean, we just talk about really random stuff and mm-hmm. people say, you know, it just helps so much to just be like you were saying with a group of people that I don't have to try and be happy or am I being too happy? Or am I being too sad? Am I being too, you know, all of the things that go on in your little hamster wheel brain in the, in the grief, in the grief world. So, um, yeah, if you haven't been to one, you should show up at one, a zoom hang. Yeah. Which we actually have one coming up this Saturday. And we, we post the, the links to those within the widow wives club. We want it to be a really safe space. And so we don't publish those for just any yahoos to come to. So if you need to get the link, then you need to join the widow wives club. And to do that, search on Facebook, answer all the questions. You do need to be a widower, 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 widower. That was like super awkward. widower. A to come, um, yeah. but they're, they take on a tone of their own. Sometimes there's sadness. Sometimes there's crying. Sometimes there's laughing and talking about really weird stuff. And they just kind of have a, a life of their own when they do happen. What's so interesting is that during this podcast journey for Mel and I, we talk about this all the time, that there is a synchronicity that happens. And just when we were trying to figure out how we could make this kind of thing happen. Autumn steps up and says, Hey, um, I want to help you. And we're like, we were just trying to figure out how to make that happen. And it just makes me feel like there is something bigger than, than just us in what's happening because the universe is putting things in place to allow all of this to happen, how it needs to happen. There's something bigger in the universe that is trying to make all of this work because I feel like all of us are poor widows and we need a hand. We need a break. I totally agree. And I don't know that that's what this group has been for me, right? It's that kind of hand or that break or just even that ability to connect with other people. It just kind of takes the pressure off for me is to just be able to say, yeah, I can talk about wanting to die and nobody's looking at me funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, um, 
do you love to just be able to meet different people from all over the world too? That's one of my favorite things is just the connections that I've been able to make. Yeah, for sure. I love the diversity of it. I think when you do like groups in person, that can be, it, that can be nice to have like something local, but for me seeing like people all across the globe, it really, to me kind of has that bigger connective piece like mm-hmm. you know it's not just right here like it this is a shared experience across humanity right and we're able to come together and kind of share together the things that we learn and I'll tell you like even just talking to people from other countries and how their government does things or how their grief practices are it's really helpful I um actually am working through a mental health conference right now um on video and I watched one last night about schematic or, or uh, cultures that have shamans and how they deal with like, you know, trauma and grief and how it's so different than what we do. And it was just like, those kinds of things are so helpful to me to kind of broaden my perspective on just ways that I can help myself or help other people. That's cool. Super cool. We should find a shaman and talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a story about a shaman in Ecuador, but it involved us taking off our clothes and stripping to our underwear and spinning around and then they spit uh what was it ginger and alcohol it from the old lady's mouth into our what now I'm, I'm assuming it's not that kind of shaman no i don't think so <laughs> okay really it really stung no um one of the stories that this psychologist that was giving the um presentation shared he had i can't remember what country he was in but they had gone in after a genocide had happened and he's like we got together this group of therapists we went in and i don't know if it was him some somebody went in with a group of therapists and after like a week they were they asked them to leave they're like you guys aren't helping us because you know culturally for them what they needed was to listen to music and they wanted to dance and they wanted to be together to experience like that community support in the trauma that they were experiencing and they were like and these western therapists come in and they take people into a dingy room and they make them talk about their problems that's not helpful (laughs) you know they needed to be together and they needed to share and dance and sing and and tell stories with one another and that's what that would actually help them to heal and to move forward together. And I think there's some truth in that. Like there, we really do need connection. We really do need to dance. We need to listen to music. We need to let out like that kind of trauma and sadness that we keep inside instead of just dwelling on it or talking about it. Now I'm a therapist, so I know that talking about it can help, but I think that there is that other piece that we also need to pay attention to. Yeah. Oh man, Autumn. Your story sucks. <laughs> Everybody's story sucks. I know. But I just think of, you know, we've had other people whose spouses have died during COVID, but they haven't had COVID themselves. So that just adds a whole nother layer of what in the world. So, but, and, but, and, and all the time, all of these terrible stories, I just think, but I wouldn't know you if, if this didn't happen to you. And it's like such a double-edged sword because I would prefer that none of us had lost our spouses, but I'm not sure that I would trade all of the things that I've gained and all of the friendships I've gained to have my old life back. Yeah. 
And it's kind of hard to say that because I think a lot of people that might be shocking to them, but it's it's really interesting because as we get to know more friends that are widows and we get to know widows across the world or across the country, it's like this thing that is so much bigger than us. And it's so interesting to look at that spread and and then even have it in your brain thinking like, yeah, but let's say I could choose to go back to my old life and my person's not dead. But look at all of the amazing and big connections that it's brought us. It's like they can't even live in the same sentence, really. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it definitely is that experience that can bring us together. I also think for myself, just the things that I've gained personally from having to go through like these difficulties and the things that I've learned and the ways that I've found to cope and be resilient and I, you know, I wouldn't have known those things if I hadn't experienced something that was so difficult and to be able to hopefully turn that around and give that to other people in the work that I do has been kind of really, you know, validating. It's been nice. Yeah. I'm sure this is going to make you a way better therapist. You're going to be an amazing asset to your, your people. Hey, Autumn, what are some ways that you've found to cope? Like I said before, being a therapist um, gives me some tools, right? Like hopefully I had some tools coming into this. I didn't expect it to be what it was, but I was able to dig deep on, on some of the tools that I found. I think something that really helps, I have been trained in ERP, which is um, exposure response prevention. And that is a form of therapy that's used with anxiety disorders. And so it's exposure therapy, basically. And so from the get-go after losing Zane, um, I knew that if I avoided things that were hard for me, that those things would gain power. They would get scarier. They would get harder for me. And so from the get-go, I was exposing myself to things that were hard. Don't worry, I was still wearing all of my clothes, but yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and somebody wasn't spitting ginger in your eyes. No, they weren't. <laughs> so, but yeah, but like things like, you know, when I found Zane in the bathroom, it was his bathroom. We had like, this is ridiculous. I used the guest bathroom and Zane used the master bathroom in our, in our home because boys are smelly and dirty. So I used my own bathroom. <laughs> So I never used the master bathroom and that's where Dan had collapsed. And that was his bathroom. After he died, I started using that bathroom exclusively. And initially it was really difficult to be in there and to, you know, be in his bathroom, to be where he had collapsed the last time I had seen him, all of those things. But I started using it because I knew if I avoided it, that it will be this place in the house that I always avoided and it would always make me sad. And so I, I started using it and things like his belongings, too. Initially, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to go through these things and I'm going to deal with it in the way that I need to and take it slow and cry and feel all the things that I need to feel. But I'm going to go through his things because I know if I avoid it, it's going to get harder and harder the longer that I wait. The more that I avoid it, the harder it's going to get for me to come back and feel those things. And so by using like the principles that I understand with exposure response prevention, the more I face the things that are scary for me, the less power they will have for me. And so it's something that really, I think, helped me with grief. And it still does to be able to say, I'm going to spend 
an amount of time with this. I don't have to, you know, dive all the way in. I maybe I wade into the pool instead of jumping in the deep end, but at least taking a step towards it instead of a step away from it. I'm teaching myself that I can do this. Interesting. Um, Autumn, do you, do you recommend that people work with somebody while they're doing that? Somebody who has that kind of training instead of just being like, Oh, I heard exposure is good. So I'm going to like dive headlong into doing things that seem really uncomfortable. Or is that a recipe for disaster or should people try it? I don't think that it's necessarily a recipe for disaster. If you are, if you understand yourself, if you feel like you don't have a lot of good insight for yourself, then yes, working with a a therapist is going to be really important because they're going to help you with that awareness and that insight to be able to know this is where I'm comfortable. And then this is the line where it gets traumatizing for me. If you, if you feel like you have good insight into where your emotions are and what um, you're capable of, I think using exposure on those small levels, it's not like, you know, we're not exposing you to sharp knives or something like I do that at my work where clients are holding knives because they're so terrified but if, if it's things like your loved one's belongings then sure go spend a little bit of time with with those belongings maybe we don't have to sort through them today but I'm going to go sit with them and I maybe I'm going to touch them today and then tomorrow maybe I'll take them down and fold them right like you just kind of work up in that way where you're spending that time you're reading your own emotions and you're facing it as much as you can, but when you've had, you've had your fill, right. When you've reached that point where it's, it's getting too difficult. And I think most people understand where that line is, where it's like, okay, this is as much as I can take and I'm going to back up and go do some self-care. But again, if we can take a step towards the things that are scary, we are giving it less power to be dangerous or traumatizing for us. Do you feel like there's some areas that are like this might be a bad way to say it, but for instance, like the things that you're talking about are probably used in people with like OCD and, and it's like interrupting their day-to-day lives. Like not being able to use a knife is going to interrupt your day-to-day life, but leaving your husband's clothes in the closet is not going to interrupt your day-to-day life. So is there like some things that you feel like are more important to kind of try and wade into that pool with than other things? Because other things, it doesn't, it's not going to interrupt your day-to-day life if those things aren't dealt with immediately, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I think for myself too, like initially, and I think most of us go through this, I have to make a lot of phone calls and talk to a lot of people about financial things, about death stuff, like all of the things that we have to take care of when someone dies. And I hated that stuff. And there were days where I'm like, I, I would, I wanted to avoid it, but I knew I can't avoid it forever. And the longer I avoid it, actually, the harder it is for me to make that phone call. Cause again, I'm giving it that power. Like this is too scary. It's too hard. I can't do it. And so I think there are some things that needed to be taken care of that I just needed to jump in and do. I think as far as like belongings go, for most people that wouldn't disrupt their lives, but for some people it might, right? Maybe I'm avoiding a whole half of my house because it's too hard. Maybe I'm avoiding going out and doing things because we went out to all these places that are special to us and I can't go those places anymore. I don't go to the grocery store because I'm too afraid of missing my person when I'm shopping. Okay. And that I makes mean, sense. I, we've all been there. I went to the grocery store for the first probably month. I cried in the grocery store every day. 
because like that was that it was hard but it, like those things were all really difficult. It was hard for me to go back to church by myself. It was all of those things were difficult, but I still did them. And I allowed myself to feel sad. I cried and cried in church for the first who knows how long. And I didn't, I didn't feel ashamed of that because I knew, hey, this is me working through my stuff. And it's an important step for me to be here and to feel these things. I think when we decide it's not appropriate for us to show emotion or it's not appropriate for me to for this to be hard, then we are, we're not doing ourselves a favor. We're actually, you know, internalizing our, our grief and making it something that is like maybe shameful almost, right. To be able to experience or feel. And that's definitely not helpful. That makes a lot of sense. I like the distinction there. You know, some of those things, if we avoid them, they become detrimental and there probably are some things that aren't detrimental, you know, that's actually really, I think that's a great tip. Yeah. It's something that really has helped me a lot. And before, you know, I've only been using ERP for the last year, really, I've done a lot of other therapy models that I still really love, but that one, I think helped me initially with those difficult parts of grief to be able to say, okay, I can, I can do this. Like I, I have the tools I have prepared for this moment and facing those things and being able to, yeah, take away some of the, the difficulty that could have been there. Right. Like if I had avoided those things initially, now I would still be stuck like with those difficulties. Another thing that really helps me even now is being present minded. I don't think too far into the future because that stresses me out. <laughs> if yeah. I get more than like a month out, I'm, I'm in a, month, in a good place. Two days, yeah. man. <laughs> Sometimes I have to plan ahead so I can do podcasts and things, you know? But- <laughs> Mel's so annoyed with me about that since I don't plan anything. You plan these. I make you schedule every one of them. <laughs> There's a reason why. So you know to show up. I've never been a planner. <laughs> We're all learning new skills in widowhood, and this is your skill. It's true. <laughs> I have the important question of all time. Okay. Cheese, favorite, go. Okay, well, I always default to Dill Havarti cheese. However, I have now latched on to that rattlesnake cheddar. What? That what? We ate. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, wait, wait, we have to back up. So I got to hang out with Autumn a few weeks ago, full disclosure, and she had the best cheese ever. And I think it is my new favorite cheese. And that's what she's talking about. Please continue. Why is it rattlesnake cheese? Was it so, made of rattlesnake milk? It could have I hope been. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this cheese, it's a white cheddar and it's infused with habanero peppers and tequila. Oh, is it super spicy? A little no. kick, a little kick, not bad. Yeah, and I think it's made locally here, so yeah, oh. but so good. I That's interesting. yeah, love that cheese for sure. Yay, Autumn! Thank you so much for being here with us. It's been so great to talk to you, and we hope that our listeners have gotten to enjoy this episode, getting to know you a little better, and that maybe they will join our next Zoom hang this Saturday. Thank you. We do two oh, sessions. Wonderful. 12 o'clock and seven o'clock mountain time. So you have to Google what that is for you. Mountain. We don't know. What is it right now? Mountain Mountain daylight daylight time right now. Time Mm. zones. Yeah. Um, If you are in our widow wives club, we do send out an email now 
the Monday of every episode. And so the information will be in there as well as we'll post about it in the Widow Lives Club. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed getting to know Autumn. Remember to check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. We're going to need a lot more patrons if we're going to make the club pool, guys. And if you're in the Widow Wives Club, that makes sense. And mate, if you want to buy us some tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. Until we talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And I'm Autumn. And we're just three young widows from the same cursed high school. And we're trying to figure out widow me. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks, and so you don't have to pay extra for that, and you still get great service. Yep, Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.